Blog Talk Radio. It's already done. It's the Pressure Points Unpacked Podcast with host Tyra Little. We're live Tuesdays at 6 p.m. Eastern Time. This show deals with personal and community issues by getting to the root cause and causes on an open and raw level. We're unpacking emotional, spiritual, mental, and physical topics that influence and often control us. Get ready to unload, examine, and process. Let's get unpacked on Never Had It So Good Sports Media Network, Tuesdays at 6 p.m. Eastern Time. Hello, and welcome to Pressure Points Unpacked, where we are transforming Tuesdays spiritually, mentally, emotionally, and physically. I'm your host, Tyra Little, and my co-host for the month of August is licensed professional counselor supervisor, Shamik, who's the founder of Clear Vision Counseling, and Elder Shepherd Drayton, Jr., who is the missions pastor of New Refuge Church in Pauley's Island, South Carolina. So today, we're going to dive into discussing understanding childhood grief. Um, Over the last past, well, this is the third week in August, we've dealt with grief. We've dealt with traumatic grief. Um, And this week, we're going to talk about childhood grief. So um, Elder Shep will be in soon with us, but Shamika and I are going to go ahead and get started, and let's get unpacked. So, Shamik, how are you today? I'm doing awesome, awesome, ready to to get into this uh, deep discussion. It's been a pleasure thus far. Uh, I think um, a lot of people, I've been getting some feedback, and people are really learning about the depths of grief, which mm-hmm. uh, goes beyond just us losing people. A lot of people are connecting the fact that it's not just about the loss of person, it's, you know, you know, we are losing different things in our lives, and grief is impacting each and every one of us in different ways. So I'm very appreciative for the psychoeducation that I can provide to your listeners and also, you know, just the people, you know, who are close to me. I've had people reach out who are close to me that were thankful for this show. So I just want to say this is an awesome platform, and I appreciate you having me on. Man, I, I thank you, Shamika. I mean, this has been um, – every episode has really been powerful. Um, and I'm, I'm just – I'm grateful. Um, I have also gotten a lot of different phone calls, the grief series. Um, and just like you said, man, just understanding that grief is so many other things. Um, I mean, I'm, I'm just – I've just been floored. Um, even breaking down the fact that – I never thought about, you know, you hear people talk often about um, church hurt, but never really translated that thing to really is grief. Um, and so that's, you know, that was a, another powerful nugget um, that I, you know, it, it's just caused me to look at it totally differently. So, um, you know, let's, let's unpack this childhood grief. Um, I'm really excited about it because, I'm even thinking a lot of times when we don't understand some of the things that has happened to us or how it has impacted us, um, even when you think about the childhood trauma. So I'm I'm really excited because I just believe that there's going to be some unpacking of a whole bunch of other things. And it's like constantly pulling that strain, that that spool of yarn, just constantly pulling it. Um, So I can only imagine 
you know, some of the things, and I hope I'm not jumping too far ahead, but, you know, when you don't deal with things as a child, man, it is it overshadows you in adulthood. So, you know, yeah. I'm just praying that we're able to address a lot of those issues um, this evening. And, you know, prayerfully, hey, it's, it's going to help me. I know that's for sure. So, yes, let's, um, let's, that, let's that's that's very true. Um, ch- childhood impacts, uh, uh, it's like a ripple effect through your life. So it's important to kind of address all issues that will be presented, especially grief. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. Yeah. So, um, well, I don't have to ask you to give us a working definition of grief because we know what it is. But, you know, let's jump into um, what you have for us today with understanding the childhood grief. Yes. Well, you know, I think uh, a lot of us are connected to children in some way. I have adult children now, 24 and 18, so they're not small children, but I do have little people in my life. I have um, my godson, Dylan, and I have my goddaughter, Alana, and my nephew, Chance, my nephew, Grayson. Those are some of the little people in my life. So we are all connected to children in some way, shape, or form. Mm -hmm. And uh, children experiencing grief is no different than the same reasons adults experience grief. The difference is it can be misunderstood how we should have the issue. I think many adults with children and those connected to children do everything in their power to protect the child's innocence. I know for the for the little people in my life that I listed, you know, I'd walk across fire for them, and I, I want to right. preserve their happiness and their innocence. I don't want them to experience any type of hurt. Um, mm-hmm. So, you know, those for those of us who have children connected to us, we want to preserve their innocence, which is very difficult to do in the climate of our country, in the climate of the world. So sometimes mm-hmm. we feel like, if we redirect the children away from the grief and push all the happy thoughts and experiences without allowing them to process it verbally, uh, despite the loss, you know, this, this is not the best approach to reducing the effects of grief on children. Right. While we want to protect them, we also have to be able to give them a voice to say how they feel. It's mm-hmm. important to remember that when a child experiences grief, it's different from adults in the fact that it becomes a part of their journey where they will experience constant reminders. With adults, you may not experience the constant reminders because children have to go through a number of different milestones where that, that loss is magnified. So think about a child who loses a parent and they may be graduating high school. They grow up, they graduate college, they get married, they have children. The grief is magnified because those life milestones, that parent is missing it. So that's how it's just a little bit different from what what an adult may experience versus a child. For a child, it's also impacting life milestones. So our job through the process is to give them the tools needed to openly discuss their grief and experiences Mm -hmm. and make sure they're not stifled. You know, that's um, some really good stuff. Um, I know just thinking for myself, because my father, um, my father was killed when I was 12, right before I turned 13, um, hit and run drunk driver. And, you know, when I think back about it, um, again, as we talk about in our community, you know, we don't think about, you know, parents do the best that they can. Um and you don't think about taking a child to see a counselor, you know? Um, 
And so I think about that. There was no outlet. I, I often think about how, you know, as people were coming over and, you know, you got people looking at the kid or, you know, you're looking at them, but nobody's really communicating with that child. You know what I'm saying? Everybody is sitting here, they're laughing, they're talking, but um, no one really talked me through that process. And it's not like a a, a bad thing. You know, we, we do what we know to do, you know? Um, wow, I, think, I think what this explained was, the fact, and I'm, I'm prayerful that this is transitioned. I, I think that we have evolved to understand the impact of loss. We've mm-hmm. evolved to understand the impact of trauma. We've evolved uh, to understand uh, mental health a little bit more. While we're not 100% batting a thousand, you know, with, with getting people help and things of that nature. But I think that, you know, I think that maybe in that period of time, no one really had the tools to guide you through that. And hopefully, right. you know, this segment allows um, people who are connected to children, teachers, administrators, mm-hmm. uh, lunch staff members, janitors, anyone that comes in connection with a child to be able to, to, to uh, pull back and say, okay, so what is the problem and how do I give this a voice for this child? And I think that, that is the, that's the beauty of learning, right? We are learning right. how to not revisit your experience where people just looked at you, but they didn't know what to say about the loss of your father. Right, right, right. You know, I often also kind of wonder, as I'm thinking about this and listening to you, I'm wondering if some of the response, um, you know how we're always told, you know, children are, are to be seen and not heard and, you know, you send the kids back in the room or whatever, or, you know, you're not in the space of grown people, I'm really wondering if that had a lot to do with it also. You know what I'm saying? Because if you don't communicate with the kids, you know, you really, I don't know, it's, it's, a, yeah. it's a disconnect there. Yeah, that's that's pretty big in our culture. We we I think I've heard that a lot, you know, you stay in a child's place, you don't mm-hmm. get into adult business. <clears throat> Um, and so, yeah, that, that definitely is a cultural thing in the African-American community. But I, th- I think we've even transitioned from that. I think our, we, we are allowing our children to have a voice a little bit more. You know, they're, they're able to voice their, their feelings, their emotions, and all other things, you know, associated with how they're feeling, thinking, and moving through life. Um, but, you know, that approach has not been helpful. And that's why I say, you know, I, we need to give them their voice and not stifle mm-hmm. them. That's that's our goal in every area. No matter what no matter what you're talking about, let's give them their voice. Right. I, I agree. I agree wholeheartedly. You know, um I think a lot of times just in the era of me and growing up, I think that it was looked upon that if a child kinda, you know, you respond, you telling people how you feel, you know, they, they're quick to want to hush you up or to make it seem as though you're being disrespectful and not thinking that Man, you know, we teach these children, you know, um, not to be followers, to be leaders, but at the moment of when they're trying to express who they are, what they are, they're trying to respond to something that's going on, we hush them up. Yeah. You know? And um I- that's Go ahead. that's important to that's important to note. I think I think that's something that has have to change. I know even even with me, you know, my, my children are many adults. Mm-hmm. Uh, 24 and 18, but, you know, I think that, you know, that comes down to learning how to parent better than you were parented. Right. Um, exactly. And, you know, we, my husband and I have, we've gone through those situations where we just didn't agree on how 
how to allow our children to express themselves and voice, you know, you know, just even down to, you know, hairstyles and culture and and different things like that. And I think Mm -hmm. that it's one of those things where it's a learning process. And as parents, we have to embrace the idea that we, you know, our parents may have made mistakes and we have to, we have to adapt to who our children are today. And we have to adapt differently because their experiences are completely different different. than what we had. Oh, yes, I I agree. I mean, you know, I parent, I have adult children also. And as I said, um, as I always say, man, you you never stop parenting. You know, you just, you graduate with them. And, and, And seeing even that, that is a bigger thing, too, as to how, you know, we deal with our children. You know, you graduate. You know, you don't treat the middle schooler the same way that you would treat the toddler. You know what I'm saying? And so with that, as you're looking at them and giving them respecting that they're growing and giving them that, respecting them as that middle schooler, that high schooler, um, that, you know, that the college student, um, I think you transition a little more with them. You know what I'm saying? It's, it makes it a little more graceful. So, you know, I'm one, too, that at this point now, you know, with my kids, hey, if I say something and it doesn't because we're not perfect and it doesn't come out right, you know, my youngest son would be like, mom, you know, I don't like, you know, you, you could have said that differently. You could have. And I have to think about it. And I'm like, you know what? You're absolutely right. I apologize. And I think that's that's huge because that just did not. I know I've never heard that. <laughs> you know what I'm You know, I don't know about you. Yeah. I, I've never heard that, you know. Yeah. Yeah, definitely. Yeah. Um. So let's 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 get into this um a little more, um Shamik. Um. What kind of statistics do you have for us? Well, uh, you know, I I think it's there's statistics give you a broad view of what grief looks like in children. Um, mm-hmm. According to some information that I found, some data that was collected between 2014 and 2018 by the nonprofit Judy House JAG Institute uh, mm-hmm. for Grieving Children and Families, they conducted a, um, a survey and they developed a childhood bereavement estimation model. So they're estimating, you know, the, the grief model within our system as it relates to children and their families. And their, their last uh, data collected um, through 2018 estimates that one out of 14 children in the U.S. will experience death of a parent or sibling before they reach the age of 18. So over 5.2 million children in the U.S. will experience the death of a parent or sibling before they reach Mm -hmm. adulthood. And this number doubles by the age of 25 to 13.2 million, you know, experiencing grief. And, you know, they do a further breakdown by state, and I was comparing the data uh, based on states. And I noticed that there's a trend, and the trend shows that, you know, we're in the southeast region of – we're we're in South Carolina. The Mm -hmm. southeast region, the data was not good for that – for the grief models. In South Carolina alone, 1 in 11 children will experience the death of of a parent or sibling by the age of 18. And that is actually higher than the national average. When when you look at all of the states across the board – I noticed mm-hmm. that California was the lowest in this model where, where you know, did the, the estimation of children grieving. California was the lowest, 
Virginia, which is still considered a part of the Southeast region, was high was was the highest. And of that, South Carolina ranked ninth. And, you know, just reviewing all of that data and looking at the models, I had to consider, like, so why does this happen? And I, and I, I discovered when, when, when uh, you know, looking at just grief that we also have to consider there are, there are factors that we can actually control, like our diet and exercise, because mm-hmm. as we get older, you know, those numbers transitioned and changed. And I noticed in the southeast region, you had higher prevalence of heart disease. You had higher prevalence of parents dying from cancer or different things and not just accidents and things like that. So the numbers mm-hmm. in the South were higher than most other places in the nation. And that for me, that was very telling that, like, not only do we have to consider grief, but we have to consider change factors. How do we impact this from a different angle? Right, right. And you know what? As you were talking about that, and I'm thinking about, um, you know, the Southeast, this, this region, you know, we're also considered the Bible Belt. So, um, gosh, Hopefully, um, Elder Shep will be able to jump on soon, but when I think about that, you know, when you're talking about, you know, the Bible Belt, I, I'm really wondering um, how does that transfer with how people deal, you know, how, how are we really dealing with our children? Well, and, and it goes back to a lot of the things that we've already previously discussed, right? Because when mm-hmm. we talked in depth about how the, the fact that um, Elder Shep said, you know, we need to better educate our clergy and and other you know members of the church body about grief, and he said he said something so profound. I wrote it down. He said we don't grieve like those who have no hope. That is kind of the pillar of what we see in the church. That thought process is like a thread throughout the church. If we have right. hope in God, we can't sit here and weep and this that and the other. So I think that it, it's the, the impact of that is we are not allowing people the opportunity mm-hmm. to do this thing openly. We're not giving right. them the voice that we need to give. And if we're not giving voice to the adults, you know we're not giving voice to the children. To the children. So are exactly. we missing things that we should be paying attention to? You know, so right. that's, that's very important. And other factors that they did not, like this data specifically focused on grief and death and loss. But we have other things to consider. Uh, you know, the thing about it is loss can be of any kind. So they right. talked about death in those models, but we didn't hit on the factors of alternative considerations like children grieve parents who are incarcerated, mm-hmm. children who experience uh, high rates of violence in their community where they may see a family member who's a victim or even a peer who's a victim to crime. Uh, there's also children who are um, military families. They right. experience grief during uh, deployments for their families, you know. They mm-hmm. not only grief, but the anxiety that goes along with your parent being away and possibly a war zone, you know. So that that's also a contributor to, you know, symptoms of grief in children. The loss of a pet, you know. I had, right. I had a pet that died. I, I'm an adult. <laughs> and my dog, if I talk about him too long, I get misty-eyed because I love that dog like he was my child, you know. And I we have this running joke in my family that I like my dog better than I like my children. It's a joke in my family, but <laughs> kind of true, I think, a little bit. <laughs> but, you know, the loss of a pet is significant for children. Right. 
And then there's, you know, the traumatic grief of when a child has to witness a parent endure a long battle of a chronic illness like cancer. So what happens to a four-year-old who has to watch their mom or dad pass away from this disease? And then also on a larger scale, children who are in foster care and their families have been displaced, they also play a part in the grief model. So I I think that Mm. when we look at when we look at the statistics about about death. Maybe mm-hmm. those numbers might be just a little bit higher than we want to want to acknowledge because, you know, there there are other statistics that even go along with that. And so those numbers compiled, uh, Bureau of Justice National Sampa, uh, uh, Survey, they did a survey of state and federal prisons, right? And so right. They, they talked to the prisoners. These were the prisoners that gave them this information based on state and federal prisoners from 2016, they estimated that 1,473,700 prisoners had minor children. Wow. And now, let me throw another one in there for you. Uh, this is one that mm-hmm. I, didn't, I didn't hear you mention, but um, because I've experienced it. There's another situation that causes grief. Let's talk about divorce. Oh, yes, definitely. Divorce so that probably would take Oh, yeah, that would put those numbers way up because um, I know for me, um, and Elder Shelf, welcome to the show. Thank you. I didn't know if I was on live or not. Thank you so much. Sorry I'm late. <laughs> That's okay. That's okay. We understand. We have other obligations. So, yes, sir, You, I, I hear you loud and clear over there. Um, okay, okay. <laughs> uh, but, yeah, I remember um, I had this the stiff neck thing going on. And my mom took me to the doctor, you know, and the doctor, you know, was telling her, you know, what had something to do, you know, with nerves. And I guess, you know, I don't know what all they discuss, you know, because adults don't discuss a whole bunch of things in front of children. And, um, but I did overhear her telling, you know, talking to someone and sharing, you know, that they were saying that, um, that stiff neck came from me just being stressed out over the fact of, you know, the, the divorce of, of my parents, you know, so um, I can only imagine because I know those numbers are probably really high um, when you begin to talk about divorce with children. Yeah. Every year, one million children under the age of 18 experience divorce in, a fa- in their family. So that's one million wow. children who are grieving the loss of their family. And I, I think that we have to also consider that um, that affects uh, not just young children, but older children. Mm-hmm. Um and in, in the, you know, the divorce cross children who are in college and even adults, you know, when their parents, when their parents divorce. So that, that is a huge factor also. Right. Right. So the shelf, um, I, um, Shamika actually went back and referenced something that you said. Um, I think it was probably the first week um, because one of the things that I, I was, you know, saying to her, you know, about when we're talking about children and um, grief, but we also talking about, you know, when you think about just with adults and how, um, you know, spiritually, you know, we don't even give adults the opportunity to talk about their grief the way they should, you know, when, you know, in, in the church community. And so I can just only imagine um, when I think back about just children and having to deal with grief, you know, um, just the spiritual guidance on that side. I, 
I wonder, have, have you ever had a situation where you had to counsel um, a young child dealing with grief? I have. Uh, I have. And, you know, the, the sad reality is sometimes if there is a parent or loved one or guardian that's um, there with the child, they don't have all the equipment necessary to help the child to get through the, the trauma that he's experiencing. And in our community, they don't have the, the foresight or the knowledge to get the child help. And so it's very difficult because if the parent or guardian isn't in, in agreement to what's going on in the counseling, they it, it may be a one-time thing or a two-time thing where the child may need, in most cases they do, an ongoing um, person to help them to get through the trauma. Mm-hmm. Wow. And then you said with the parents being there, I, I often, and I see, I would have to wonder too, because a lot of times kids are not going to really tell you exactly how they feel in front of their parents. Right. They're just not going to do know, it. Um, they're not going to do it. And the thing that the church, is, uh, the church need to be more aware of is, you know, we talk about discernment, um, but a lot of times we just lack common sense and mm-hmm. we make everything around discernment. And if discernment was operation, operating the way it should, we shouldn't have to wait for people to come to us. We should identify that there is some things going on if we, if we um, you know, are, are, are paying attention to our community, identify that there's something and have a conversation, you know, and don't be afraid to, um, you know, you have to ad- address it with, you know, some tact, but don't be afraid to offer your help um, mm-hmm. or, or offer uh, someone else's help because in most cases they need it. Yeah, that's, that's a fact. You know, something I, as you were talking and I just, this this thought just hit me, um, and Shamika, either of you guys can, can jump right in, but, you know, I thought about a lot of times when you have, because we, we have single households a lot, and, you know, I'm thinking about, you know, even myself, um, you know, after I got divorced and, you know, I'm raising my kids, but I think about the fact that as a single parent, you have so much going on right? You're constantly working, you're doing this, you're trying to take care of the children. But a lot of times you, you, you may miss the symptoms. You know what I'm saying? Because kids are dealing with a lot and a lot of times in those situations, at least I know for my boys, um, they would try not to, to add any stress, you know? So there will be things that they were dealing with that they wouldn't even, um, mentioned to me and as as they got older and you had these conversations then I began to find out you know um when I couldn't buy them something additional um at Christmas time and how one of my sons said to me um you know how sad it made him when kids would come to him and ask well why didn't you get new shoes why didn't you know what I'm saying that's uh that's something that that child dealt with that he never even express that to me so um and I missed that I didn't even see the sadness behind that because he put on a whole nother you know what I'm saying it was a whole different face and so um I think a lot of times children realize that their parents are going through a lot and they could be you know sad or they're dealing with whatever but they won't even um let you know that and if you're focused and you have this tunnel vision of what you're trying to do and how you're trying to raise children you you miss it. It doesn't make you a bad parent, but you miss it. 
Yes, yes, yes. You know that's 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 uh, that's a common thing that children do when they're grieving. Tyra is like they feel as if they want to lessen the load on the family. Um, so <laughs> that that is a that is something that that kids actually do. They they try to find ways to not make it uh, make any issues within the family because they know that you know everyone's going through this process and and a lot of times it's, it's an indirect response but mm-hmm. that's definitely something that kids do and um, you know it's 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 one of those things we I think we can look at grief and and see the normal transition for how children are grieving it's just like how adults grieve but there you know there are other factors that, you know, have to be considered. And, and when we look at those factors, we not only have to consider them in the home, we should also consider them in education settings also. So that's also mm-hmm. a very important thing. Yeah, um, because I guess when you think about, <clears throat> I used to sub, and so I don't know, I just feel like, and this is just me, I don't, you know, you have kids that are mischievous, but I don't think that children just set out just to be bad. You know what I'm saying? And I think so many times children are labeled before people even begin to try to peel back those layers to find out exactly what's going on with them. I mean, you know, we have guidance counselors that are, you know, in these schools, but sometimes they miss it. Yes. Yeah, it, it's a system that's overwhelmed. I think, I think, you know, shout out to all our teachers and guidance counselors yes. and administrators. Yes. Um, it's a system that's overwhelmed. I think you, you I, I said this a little bit earlier, like it's out, the world we live in, our teachers have transitioned over time from just mm-hmm. being teachers to being the counselor, to being mm-hmm. their parent, to right. being their social worker, to being their caseworker, all right. in the midst of having to teach in the classroom. Mm-hmm. So, I mean, it's it's one of those things that's like, I don't think it's that they don't see it. I think it's that they see it, but how do I see it with 15 kids and manage it within one day and get a lesson done? Kind of difficult. Oh, yeah, definitely. Definitely. But then I also think, um, too, now there are, you know, we, we're human, and so we do have some situations. Um, I know when Dr. Hughie was on, she spoke about how, um, the little young lady, the, the child, they kept trying to tell the teacher about her cookie, you know. Teacher had no idea what she was talking about, that she was referring to a body part, and she's asking the child, well, why wouldn't you want to share your cookie? You, you know what I'm saying? So sometimes just even with that, with the gap of kind of understanding, you know, it's, it's unfortunate that people give children, give body parts, not the real names, which is just so unfortunate, um, especially in that situation to where the child wasn't even able to convey that. But um, I think when you have that that barrier there, sometimes that language barrier um, is 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 huge. I mean, my heart goes out to the teachers, to um, all of our school workers, because again, that this is this is a whole man. It's 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 your they're at school, they spend more time at school than what they are at home, you know, during that school time. And um, I, I don't know. I'm just, I'm at a, I'm at a loss. Um, I don't know. I'm just at a, at a, at a loss here. So um, go ahead. 
you know, and it's, it is it's impossible for a child to choose his path, you know, um, choose his parents, so to speak. You know, there is a a case that has caught national attention where the father of this young boy killed his mom and his sister and tried tried to kill him. And the father is representing himself in the courtroom. Mm-hmm. And the son has to be questioned by the dad who killed the mom and the sister and attempted to kill him. You know, the trauma of the grief of losing his family, the mm-hmm. whole nine yard, um, you know, he's been adopted by a Caucasian family and hopefully they're getting him the counsel that he needs and, 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 uh, and, and trying to help his mind heal. But it's situations like that that don't get national attention where uh, in our community, a mom, usually a mom, um, mm-hmm. is gunned down or either beat down by the dad and the children have to see this type of thing. And they have to live with this for the rest of their lives. Uh, and they may not get all that they need in mending those wounds. Right. Right. You're absolutely right. And that was one of the things that um, I was saying in the beginning is like, you know, if you don't deal with the childhood grieving or these childhood traumas, the issues, now you're carrying it over into adulthood. In adulthood, yes, yes. You know, and and until those things are peeled back and you're able to identify, oh, my God, this is what happened to me as a child. You know what I'm saying? This Mm -hmm. is where this comes from. This is why I respond the way that I do. You know, um, until that happens, man, it's like, um, I don't know, it's like, it's like you, it's, you, you're constantly going to be spiraling or you're going to have things that's going to constantly trigger you until you can put your finger on what caused it and then begin to deal with the root of that, you know? Right, right. Um, we're at, this is a point where we need to go ahead and take a break. Um, this is Pressure Points Unpacked. I'm your host, Tyra Little. Um, We'll be back in a few. Your skin isn't just skin. It's a beautiful reflection of every single thing you've been through in life. Which is why Dove Body Wash removes your skin's ceramides and strengthens it against dryness. For instantly softer, smoother skin, you can lovingly embrace. Renew the love for your skin with Dove Body Wash. Welcome back to Pressure Points Unpacked. I'm your host, Tyra Little. Um, If you want to call in, if you have a question for us, please feel free to do that. You can reach us at 914-205-5361. So, um, if we can talk about maybe some of the symptoms or um, I don't know the, the factors um, that you see sometimes, or you know, giving giving us some clues as to how children may respond when they're dealing with some grief. Well, you know, they're they're going to experience uh, grief just very similar to how adults experience grief. There'll be sadness. Uh, there may be some separation anxiety, like they don't want to go or leave a parent or something along those lines. So there's sadness, there's anxiety, their sleep may be disrupted by dreams 
or they have a difficult time falling asleep, staying asleep. Um, they become irritable and very cranky. And also children can experience somatic issues. Somatic is just um, body pain issues. Like they'll complain about my tummy hurts, my head hurts, my body aches, or just, just different little things complaining about it, and they, it may be in, so insistent, you're like, okay, we got to go to the doctor, and the doctor's like, oh, there's nothing there. We can't find anything wrong. That is what we consider a somatic issue where it's the psychological impact of what has happened is causing pain in the body. And there's also anger. The child could be angry about losing whatever it is. But the more concerning symptoms that I find uh, when it comes to grief, are just like we talked about, we kind of inched into what the education component is, behavior problems, impulsive mm-hmm. behavior, uh, anger paired with aggression in school, distractibility in school, thoughts of suicide. Those are, those are very concerning symptoms. And um, I will say that, you know, when they present themselves in the education setting, then we, then we evolve into something that's a little bit different. Um, just like we were talking about, like, when you think about it, if you look at the statistics and the numbers of children who have, like, in the past year and a half uh, from COVID, who are going back to school this week, uh, our county goes back tomorrow, uh, think about how many of these children are reentering our education system and they have lost a parent, mm. they've lost a grandparent, mm. they possibly mm. lost a sibling. They may have a parent who is incarcerated. They may have a um, parent who's deploying. They may have uh, watched violence in their community. Uh, Mm -hmm. They may have seen a pair be the victim of violence over the summer. Uh, We we had incidents, you know, earlier this year where children in our school system lost, uh, I think in two, I think about two or three instances, we had children who are teenage years uh, that lost their life. So all of these children are coming back into the education system with all of these symptoms that are present. But then we have, we have the whole model where we're supposed to teach, but then we're supposed to be social workers at the same time, which makes it a little, little difficult to do. And one incident that stands out in my mind mm-hmm. is uh, a few years ago, there was an incident at a local high school where a uh, young lady, she was at the high school, and she was in class, and she had her phone in her hand. And her, her teacher, um, I, don't, I, we don't, I don't know if the teacher confronted her, but I know the teacher called the resource officer. Right. The resource right, officer that. came in. The child did not give up her phone. And the resource, resource officer got physically aggressive with the child and, like, flipped her out of the chair or something mm-hmm. along those lines. When I saw that incident, I immediately went to thinking, like, one, this could have been handled so much better right. uh, by, the, by, by everyone, you know. Uh, could the teacher have pulled her out of the classroom and say, hey, hon, I know, you know, you want to be on your phone, but, you know, what's the challenge with you putting it up right now until after class? Mm-hmm. You know, uh, the resource officer could have been gentler towards this child. And the thing that stood out to me was um, even my own experiences with working with children who are in the foster care system. And when I saw that child and I saw that she did not want to give up her phone, I did not see a defiant teen that's just wanting to be on social media. Mm -hmm. I saw a teen who may be in foster care, 
whose last attachment to her family, her siblings, her grandparents, and the people who she is biologically connected to, that phone is her last attachment to them. I have to wait until I get on Wi-Fi to be able to text to see how my brother's doing in his foster care, uh, in his foster home. Uh, I have to wait till I get to the school Wi-Fi to be able to text my mom to see how she's doing, to see if our court case is coming up and I'm going to be able to go home. So I saw that phone as not just a telephone or a device. I saw that phone as that child's lifeline. Lifeline, Sometimes that's what we have to do. We have no tolerance policies in schools that actually work against children like this. We have to do more than just use our resource officers. Uh, We're policing our children in school when we need to be doing something a little bit more therapeutic, you know. And so that incident alone says, okay, so there's more going on here that we just did not take the time to figure out. Now, kids are defiant, you know, it, it, everything, every, everything with, with teenagers is complicated. But at the same time, we have to be the example. So what example did we teach that young lady in that, in that, in that situation? We didn't hear her voice. If she was grieving, right. we didn't hear her grief either. Right. Right. And, and I think in everything that you just said pertaining to her, um, that was actually what the real situation was, you know, was that she was actually the foster parent and everything that you said. I don't know um, how many people are familiar with that, but that happened um, right here in South Carolina um, in District 2 schools. Um, in fact, if I'm not mistaken, I think it was, it was Spring Valley. In fact, it was. Um, and that's not, you know, bringing any school out or knocking them on anything um, because Lord knows I appreciate the teachers and I think they do a tremendous job on uh, what they have. Um, but we just, we have to learn how to be more compassionate um, as teachers. And, and I think even with resource officers, they have to have an additional um, skill set. You know, they they really need to. I mean, because if compassion isn't a part of what you have, then you really don't need to be there in the school system dealing with children, you know, Um, because even in that, what I saw was him actually acting as if the child had stole something from somebody, you know. I mean, you know, not as a child. I mean, we're doing all of this over a cell phone. Mm-hmm. So, and you know, I, I think that that's the that's the problem. Not to knock resource office, resource officers. I have a very good friend who was a resource officer in 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 school, and um, knowing her, I know that she went into every situation with a child and still continues to do so with compassion mm-hmm. and understanding. Um, right. But at the same time, I want to take a step back and say, why are we policing our children in school? Because they are the police. Why are we not saying, okay, and like, why are we not saying, okay, instead of two guidance counselors, um, and also, you know, understanding the dynamics of counseling, guidance counselors hit things from more of a moral character-based things when it comes to children in elementary. We're teaching them good character. That's what counselors do in in uh, elementary, you know, they, they talk about character-based things. They don't necessarily get to do the mental health things. They can check in and say, oh, this kid is having a challenge. We need to refer them. But, you know, as counselors, as guidance counselors, their job's a little bit different than mental health counselors. 
right? So elementary, they're focusing on character building in these little people. And then they're, they're, they're focusing on, you know, behavior and reinforcement and transitioning to high school when it comes to middle school guidance counselors. Then you get the high school guidance counselors is, okay, how do we transition you into life and into your career? So they don't always have the opportunity to check in from a mental health standpoint. So my question is, instead of employing police officers to go into these schools, why are we not putting maybe three or four mental health counselors in these schools? Now, districts actually do this throughout the state where uh, the Department of Mental Health has, and, and that that's our, our state uh, mental health uh, agency, they have in some districts where they will have mental health counselors in the schools, um, but that's, um, it's, a, it's, a, it's a very tricky system uh, because, you know, the, the child is, is more of a high risk. But why don't we have counselors in school that are teaching children how to regulate their emotions? When you are feeling a, a little bit, you know, too, too irritable or hyped up, we need to be able to give these kids options to learn how to calm down, not necessarily saying, well, I'm going to call the resource officer. Uh, I, I think that we need more of a behavioral health component and more mm -hmm. integrative thought processes put into how we are handling our children in school. I think children should have mindfulness rooms where they lay down and deep breathe and learn how to regulate themselves when they are having a, a challenge. I don't think you should just send them to ISS, you know, in-school suspension or to the principal's office. We, we need a better way to treat our children. Well, I, I will say this. Um, because you post a lot of different things there. Now, I will say this. I know um, dealing with District 5, my grandson, um, they do mindfulness. Um, they do it in the classroom. Uh, they were doing that when he was in kindergarten. So in the mornings, first thing in the mornings, they go through and how, they, how the teachers actually, um, what they did with the children is every morning there was a different child who led all of the children through the mindfulness activity. Um, and as far as I want to back up a little bit about what you were saying about with the police officers, now I agree that they definitely do need to have um, more social workers or the mental health people that's in there to help to guide and navigate these children, um, our children, through the issues that they're dealing with. But I think one of the things um, and again, I know a couple of resource officers that I think that did the job very well, um, interacted with the children very well. But then you have some, just like you have police officers that don't really know how to um, deal with adults very well, you know. Um, but I think that connection, when they take them through, I'm trying to think of what the, the D.A.R.E. program, um, with the police officers interacting with the children I think it's helping to bridge that community also. It's a grassroots kind of effort. So they don't always look at the police officer as the bad guy. Um, so in that aspect, that's one, I think that's, that's an important reason to actually have them there. But I, I agree with you with the policing our children piece. But then the other issue that you have is look at how many, you, you're talking about in-school shootings that you have. So now you don't want to, I don't think, remove them, but I think that teachers sometimes, and again, I'm not beating up on you guys, but 
I think it needs to be a protocol before you call in the resource officer. And, and you, you know that's understandable, and that you know that goes. Remember, we talked about how grief is an, grief is an onion; it has many layers. And this discussion actually has many layers when you start to think about how engagement from police officers and um, you know police officers and you know different you know different aspects of policing in school. Um, because if we, we we understand what the the violence in schools and mass shooting and things of that nature. We do need a police presence, but I, I wonder now, I, I, I come from an urban environment. Uh, we did not have a heavy police presence when I was in school. We didn't have resource officers, not that I could remember. We didn't either. But yeah. I, I, wanna, I want to kind of, you know, gauge, and, you know, I, I live in South Carolina. I, my, my experience with resource officers and policing in school comes from when my children were in school. Now, here. my children went to schools that, you know, have a mixed population, but they still have a high concentration of kids of color. So mm-hmm. are we seeing the same thing with policing and, and, and community engagement in white co- when schools where the, the student population is predominantly white? Hmm. That's an interesting so, question. Like, if we're, not, if, we're not seeing it in their, if we're not seeing it in their schools, why are we mm-hmm. seeing it in our schools? And I understand, like, the, the community engagement is a factor, but my mm-hmm. school is not my community. It, my school is not my community. My school is my school. So right. I understand the, the engagement from a community perspective, but, mm-hmm. like, I think that it, it, what, you're, what you're essentially doing in this situation is making black and indigenous children of color feel as if we're constantly being policed in our community, in school, and everywhere else. I can't go to the mall without being looked at as a suspect. So I, right. I get the need for police officers. I have friends who are officers. I respect mm-hmm. police officers. I applaud them for taking on the task of putting their life on the line. And whenever I get a chance to engage an officer, I thank them for what they're doing in their communities. However, it goes back to what you do for one, you have to do for the other. And I don't think that these other schools are being policed like you see in some urban environments. Yeah, I mean, and you definitely made, you know, you, you definitely have a, um, a valid point there. I mean, that's definitely a valid point. Elder Shelf, you were ready to say something? You know, I remember seeing that footage and at first, and I don't know if this is a man in me or what, at first, I was really concerned for the girl, the young lady. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. And then as I watched this officer go to the length that he went to, mm-hmm. I, in my mind, it was just like, what is wrong with you? What is your problem? You know, because I couldn't fathom a man handling a young lady like this, especially someone that's sent there to protect and to serve or to help. And so it just made me wonder how broken are some of these people that that are in these places and what didn't they receive that they needed to get from a mental standpoint? Because you're pretty broken to to handle a young lady, a a school-age child like this, you know, in a classroom. And, you know, that, that, that part was just highlighted in me 
and to a rage, so to speak, um, mm-hmm. because oh, what's your problem? <laughs> you know, right. I, right. I, I just couldn't. I couldn't get past that. It's almost like my mind shifted from the child to this man. You mm-hmm. know, I wonder how much of those are, 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 are this type of problem exist in our community, and especially in uh, those who are should be in position to help us. You know, is, are there some underlying issues that was not dealt with in, as, as children that's playing out as a, in, a, in these adults? Mm-hmm. I, now, you just hit the nail on the head. Um, I've, I've, I've said that before. Um, I really do believe that a lot of times, um, I mean, and this is just life in, in different jobs that you have, but sometimes you have people that were, it's obvious that they were bullied growing up, and so now this is their chance to enforce. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. And so because now I have this badge and I have this power, this is how I'm going to handle the situation. Um, you know, and, and I'm not talking from a standpoint that I haven't been a part of that community because um, you see the same thing in law enforcement in the military. You know, I, I have this power. You know, and then you have some, and, and you have some that you know it's obvious they were picked at, they were ridiculed. You could tell just just the behavior. Um, and until other people band together to point out and say, "Hey, that's wrong," this thing will continue. You know, right? You know, right? You know, I I can't help, and and you know, uh, my thing is I I always <laughs> I kind of like pick apart like certain situations. And I, the, the school that this happened in, I, what you said about the young lady uh, being in foster care and things of that nature, I, I didn't know that. I spoke on it because I actually had that experience from working with, with foster children. They would hold on to that phone dearly, and that was just a thing for them. But I have to consider, you know, I know that particular school and, you know, some of the demographics that goes along with that mm-hmm. school. And I think the thing that I walked away with from that whole situation was, okay, so, like, they could have handled this better. The teacher probably could have, you know, you know, tried to de-escalate before calling resource, and resource could have just tell the child, come on, let's step out and talk for a minute. Um, right. But my question is if that child looks differently, if mm. she, you mm. know, if her hair was blonde and her eyes were blue, would that officer have approached that child in that manner? And and I know I know a lot of people in the community came out and said this officer is great, this officer is this, this officer is this, this officer is that, and that officer may very well be everything that everyone said that they are. But in that situation, I have to look and say, would you do the same thing? And and, and right. you know really pick apart. And I think that sometimes. We, we become afraid to have those conversations because mm-hmm. we don't want to address the fact that there are sometimes implicit biases in our thought mm-hmm. processes. You know, it's just the world that we live in. So when you approach that child, uh, had she been blonde and blue-eyed, would you have treated her in the same manner and, like, body slammed her on the ground? I would think not knowing right and you know what dynamics of that area yeah right and you know what and without saying too much i mean it's it's i mean it's out there it's information um i've experienced dealing with him on both sides of that um 
on one side with, you know, actually knowing in a different setting to where you wouldn't have never thought that he would have done that. But then also knowing in another setting where I do know of him mishandling another student. So, um, you know, sometimes we present different things in depending upon the situation that we're in. You know exactly, and exactly, and that's 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 the thing. That's the thing that stands out, and I, I think that's why exploring the childhood grief grief information is so important. Because if we have, like, think about it, the National Institute of Correction says that black children are seven seven point five times more likely, and Hispanic children are two times more likely than our white children to have a parent in prison. Now, you just think about that one point. 1,473,700 children that wow. have parents who are incarcerated, who are in the school system, who are going to have behavior problems. They're going to have problems with impulsivity. They're going to match anger and aggression together against their mm-hmm. peers, against their teachers, their administrators. They're going to be distracted in school. They're going to have problems. And they are going to be subject to the no tolerance policies in these schools. But if we have people that are responding to them without the knowledge, because I think that's where we have to go with this. It's not necessarily that, you know, the officer is right, the officer is wrong. The officer is uneducated in the different approaches that you can take to address a minor, because that's what she was. She was a minor in that situation. She was not a suspect of theft. She was not an armed citizen right. trying to hurt you. She was a minor. So then that, that right. puts me in a position to say, what, what type of training are we giving to our teachers about um, right. not, just, not just grief, but trauma? Because mm-hmm. remember, at the lowest level of trauma is neglect. So we have a mountain of children of various colors, not just children of color. You have Caucasian children, Asian children, all of these children experiencing all of these different things in their life that they bring to school with them. So we Mm -hmm. have to take a step back and say not only do we need to train our educators, our teachers, our janitors, our administrators, our uh, police resource officers, our police officers, our politicians, we need to have like a – a trauma 101, what are your, you, you know, what are your, your triggers and what's going on and how do you identify triggers in other people? Let's get to the root problem before we create a bigger problem. And it comes down to education. Yes, you're, you're absolutely right. It does. It, it comes down to that education. Um, and definitely, just like I said earlier, you know, I think that there needs to be certain protocols that are put into place to where um, before a teacher actually escalate that to call in a resource officer because there, there was no reason why he should have been called for a cell phone. It, it just shouldn't have happened. But I want I want to ask you this, um, Shamik, um, and and you also, Elder Shep. You know, when we're dealing and, and I know that we said that children grieve just like adults do. Um, and you went over some of um, the things, the actions that they would have, the tummy hurting, um, you know, not being able to sleep. I would even throw in um, 
the fact they're probably bedwetting. That that will be a, a, a huge one also, a child that you that's not normally wetting a bed and now we are, um, there's something wrong. So what what type of what would you advise a parent, you know, to do or how how do we navigate help navigate these children, our children through grief processes? Well, I, I think I think the thing that we have to learn, and which makes a lot of adults uncomfortable, is open discussion is therapeutic for children. Um, New, the New York Life Foundation and the National Alliance for Grieving Children did a survey. They, they spoke to 531 children under the age of 19, and they asked them what did they need uh, through their grief process and the thing that helped them the most. 55% of those children said spending time with family, and 59% said spending time with friends was helpful um, for grieving the death or loss of, of their family member for their grief. 42% said that attending grief group was a helpful tool. So that just tells me that open expression of emotions is the key to, you know, dealing with the grief situations on multiple levels. We have to be able to give kids the voice to be able to express how they feel. And also, mm-hmm. you know, from a therapeutic standpoint, we teach children how to express their emotions in a positive way uh, by teaching them emotion regulation. Like I always say, every emotion is a good emotion. It's the way that you present it that may be the issue. Like anger mm-hmm. is good to have, but it's mm-hmm. just how, how, do, how am I presenting that anger? Is, that, is it being negative or am I push, putting that, uh, that anger into a positive perspective? So I think that, you know, teaching children how to openly discuss their grief and allowing that them that space to say I miss this person because and I feel bad because and when I feel bad like this I just want to smash something I want to hit something like you allow them to process all those things linguistically and then you teach them how to cope well what can I teach you how to do can I teach you how to deep breathe when you feel like you're getting a little bit too you know too irritated teaching those kids mindfulness like your grandson was taught, teaching them grounding skills. You're not back in that moment where you're seeing your parent or your friend pass away, you know, and and teaching them different techniques, giving them the tools to be able to tell their story. Clinically, we use a a, um, therapy model called trauma-focused cognitive behavioral therapy, which Mm -hmm. teaches children how to express their experience in a different way. It could be a puppet show, it could be uh, writing music, a song. It could be writing a story or something along those lines. But we have to give children their voice. Older children can go to camp um, to be able to connect with other people who've had the same experiences. There's camps for children who've lost people in the military. There's camps for children whose parents are incarcerated. There are, you know, camps for children who have just experienced grief. So we... We have to do a better job for our children, you know. We, we have to give yeah. them the voice. I, I think that's, that's, that's the key. We have to give them their voice to be able to say it. That's good. That's good. Um, Elder Shelf, I have a question for you, but I don't know if you want to respond to that. Um, and this question may, may be kind of spiraling here because um, this is something that I hear people do and say all the time pertaining to grief. So here we go. <laughs> yeah, here, here's one. I, I have been waiting, been wanting to 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 ask you this one. Um, to the life of me, and, and and I guess because again we want to protect children, so I guess a lot of times the easiest way 
um, of what we tell them is, oh, so-and-so died and they're going to heaven. Now, if I'm not mistaken, and correct me if I'm wrong, just from what you read in the Word, does it say that someone else is in heaven? Say again now? When you read in the Bible, does it say that, you know, someone else is in heaven? We, you know, we often tell children that so-and-so died and they're gone to heaven mm-hmm. to try to soften the blow. But would that kind of be incorrect um, biblically? Well, um, it's, 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 a, it's a thin threshold. Um, it's a thin threshold as to what a person may believe as far as, you know, from a biblical standpoint, because, you know, um, heaven is the presence of God, you know, and there are, there are some that have left earth and experienced that presence, presence mm-hmm. where, in that place where God is, whether that be paradise, paradise former or paradise now. Um, and so, they're not technically incorrect, but I think they make those statements because they don't they don't actually know how to deal deal with um educating the child as to what happened and it's the easiest road for them to take you know and and in their minds, I believe people do that to take the burden and the pressure off of really trying to explain you know what's taking place with that loved one. You know, that's the that's mm-hmm. a cop out in a, in a lot of cases, and mm-hmm. really, it needs more discussion. You know, mm-hmm. uh, I think that to be able to allow the child to express, like Shamik was saying, what's going on with them versus just saying, "Oh, they're in heaven." It does not give the child the release of what they're feeling and uh, you know that's going on as far as losing that loved one. And I, so, so I really think that's a cop out. You know, as uh, because some people just don't know that they can take time out and push pause, sit down and have a more in-depth conversation with the child. I think they think that the child can't articulate or understand on a higher level, and and most kids can. Mm-hmm. That's good. That's good. I was, you know, because a lot of times, and I was like, gosh, I want to ask the question, but I don't want to seem, you know what I mean? I'm just like, it, it just needs to be, yeah, you know, and, yeah, and, and, and you know, depending on denomination, things shift and change. But we know that Elijah um, went to heaven, uh, spirit, soul, and body. You know, he didn't see death. Uh, there's, you know, Paul talks about being called up into the third heaven. You know, uh, there's a lot of heaven perspectives and heaven views that point to heaven yeah and um and we can't we can't say who goes and who's not there based on we don't know the relationship that they had with god we know that that's the hope we know that that's the hope right but in most instances i think people are trying to get away trying to deal with a situation that they don't feel equipped to deal with because they don't think that the children can handle the reality of what happened right Right, right. Yep, and that's that's just, that's that's what we were talking about uh, a little bit before you got on was the fact that you know as parents and people connected to younger people, 
we, we see it as our job to protect their innocence. And when we see it as our job to protect their innocence, then we overlook the fact that even, even in protecting their innocence, we must always be truthful. Yes. Right. Yes. Right. Well, you guys, we have uh, covered some things, covered some, some good ground. Um, we're hitting at the end here. Um, I want to give each of you um, a couple of seconds just if you want to, whatever you want to leave the listeners with um, and let them know where, you know, they can find you. So I'm going to let you go first, Shamik. Uh, well, I thank everyone for joining in. I, I just want to leave everyone with um, just, I guess, you know, tre- treating our children kind of like they're many adults and, and the, the ability to be able to allow them to express themselves verbally. Um, and just, you know, as we move into the new school year, um, teachers and, and everyone that's going to be engaging with children, let's not always jump to conclusions about, oh, that kid is this or that kid is that, or he always or she always is an issue. Let's take a, a, a step back to say, okay, so what is this kid experiencing? And maybe just talk to them and give them, give them their voice and your ear. Mm-hmm. That's good. Elder Shep? You know, I would really love for – this type of discussion to hit home a little bit more in our communities, to be more rounded as individuals. Oftentimes we, we respond to situations out there with the first thing that we that come to our mind, and we're not very good evaluators of what's taking place. And, and when we don't evaluate, we don't increase our education. And we don't we, – we assume a lot without getting – all the variables that we need to make an educated decision or educated guess on what's taking place. And, you know, my hope for those that are listening is to take time, push pause, and evaluate your circumstance, your situation, the people around you, maybe the people that you work with, or even family members, because there's another side to the story. There's a reason why someone is doing or mm-hmm. behaving the way they are. And if we don't take time to absorb some of the emotions that we release so easily, we won't get to know those things and therefore not educate ourselves on how we can be better and how we can be a better help to our friends, family, loved ones, coworkers, and such. So I think that, uh, uh, you know, I would like for us to become more balanced as a community and as a people and Mm -hmm. take time to see and evaluate what's really going on. That's good. That's good. Well, you guys, um, it has been an honor, again, um, to sit with you and to talk with you. And, uh, hey, we want to see you guys back on next Tuesday, 6 p.m. Eastern Standard Time. Also, um, share the show with somebody. Um, You know, let somebody know about it. Spread the word. You can always reach us. Live at 914-205-5361. Uh, Pressure Points Unpacked is on Facebook as well as Instagram. Hit us up during the week. Um, if you have any questions that you may want us to come back and maybe mention on the next show on Tuesday, or, you know, if you just want to, if you have a topic that you may want us to actually explore, please reach out. Again, this is Pressure Points Unpacked, and I'm your host, Tyra Little. See you next Tuesday. It's already done.